Open up your Bibles to John, the, the first chapter. The first chapter of the book of John. I want to explain a very simple but very powerful truth today. I love my church. I love what God is doing. It's easy to tell people about what's going on and to say, come and see. And this is the story of the first people who ever followed Jesus when they were invited to come and see and how they became followers. And I think there's something that's so perfect for us right here today. All right? So you can follow along on the screen or you can follow in your notes. I hope you get a pen out and write some things down because I think God is going to talk to you. Verse 35, the next day, John, this is John the Baptist, was there with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Now, if you had taken the time to read the whole chapter or you read it later in your private time, he's been saying this over and over. Like, this is the fourth time he's saying, look, the Lamb of God. And people are having a hard time believing this. Like, what do you mean the Lamb of God? I don't even understand what you're saying. Like, you mean like the Messiah? Look, there he is. He's really adamant. And nobody's following Jesus. They're like, okay. But then these two guys, they decide to take him up on what he's saying. And they go and they follow Jesus. When the two disciples heard him, they followed. Turning around, Jesus saw them following. And he asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said, look, come and you will see. Doesn't really answer their question, but he invites them to come and see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. By the way, this is an eyewitness account. John, who's writing this book, saw these things happen. He puts details in here. This isn't like historical fiction or legend. I mean, he literally says, we spent the day, four in the afternoon. This is what we saw. So it's an eyewitness account. Um, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. So look at this. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother, Simon, and tell him, we found the Messiah, it's the Christ. And they brought him, and he brought him to Jesus. He brought his brother to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you're Simon, son of John. We're not going to call you that anymore. We're going to call you Cephas, which means Peter. It means the rock. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. And finding Philip, uh, he said to him, follow me. And Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from that same town of Bethesda. So Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. So you understand Philip is following and he, he goes and gets his friend Nathanael. And he says, we found him. We found the one that, that Moses and the prophets talked about. We found the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. And Philip said, come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said, now here truly is an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? Well, you'll see greater things than that. And he added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened, the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Verse 46, though, back again, Philip said, come and see. The simple invitation has always been, look, just come and see for yourself, and that's what I want to talk about today. Now, Lord, take these few minutes we have and help them be very clear. Help me to be clear Pray this connects. Pray that you'll do what needs to be done in my heart and in the hearts of these people here. 
I love you in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a 2012 study at the University of Georgetown, the Center for Applied Research, and they uh, released their findings, and it's very interesting. They say that atheism is on a rapid decline in the United States. That's a big surprise for a lot of people, that atheism is on the decline. In fact, they went on to say that there's no group in America that is losing more adherence faster than atheist groups. Now, it's crazy because, you know, you hear about that all the time, but really, you know, the more complex this world uh, it, it comes to be known. I mean, the more science reveals, the more, the more we go forward, it becomes more and more clear this didn't just happen. And people know that, you know, reason alone is not going to provide me the answers to life. And so there is a growing interest in the spiritual in the supernatural, in the paranormal, in uh, the eternal, and you can have spiritual conversations with anybody these days. Just look at all the movies and the focus of what's happening in the media. People are more open to spirituality than ever before, and yet at the very same time, they are turning away in droves from what they remember as organized religion. They are turning away from anything that smells like moral, uh, moral judgment or kind of a smug uh, intolerance or some kind of a creative creativity stifling uh, moral code, and, and people are saying, you know, I don't, I don't want that. They're turning away from our organized religion and turning away from the traditional church, and they're saying, I don't think that I'm going to get my questions answered there, but I am very open to spirituality. I am very open to the supernatural. I am very interested in the eternal, and so... If that is the case, and I've just described what I believe all of you know to be the landscape of America today, we have an incredible opportunity, and that's what this passage talks about. It talks about people who are living in a time when there was a lot of spiritual confusion and a lot of openness to spirituality, but there was a great rejection um, of a lot of legalism and moralism and a lot of the stuff that we would consider ugly about religion. Here's John the Baptist, and he's calling out the ugly religious types, and he's saying, all of you people who are Israel, from Israel, turn away from your, from your empty religion and repent and give yourselves fully to God. And he's baptizing people, and he spots Jesus one day, and he says, there he is. There's the one I've been sent, I've been talking about. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And people are like, I don't even understand what you're talking about. They're the Lamb of God, there he is. And people are like, the Lamb of God? I don't even know what you're talking about. But they're curious, and John is very adamant. And the more adamant he gets, the more people are paying attention, but they're not following yet. Finally, these two guys are courageous enough, and they kind of have enough curiosity to say, we need to go see for ourselves. And so they start to follow, and I love it what Jesus does. Do you know that Jesus does not immediately turn around to them and say, well, if you're going to follow, here is the list of the new laws that you have to obey. He doesn't come up with a, with a checklist of, of moral behavior. He, he, in fact, he gives them no checklist at all. And he doesn't demand that they follow him. And he doesn't say, this is what you will believe. He says none of that. They say, where are you staying? He doesn't even answer the question. He just, you know what he says? Why don't you just come and see? In fact, as you go through the Gospels, you're going to see Jesus saying that over and over again, not answering people's questions, but simply saying, why don't you come with me and watch? Come and see. Come and observe. Um, don't take my word for it. You watch. You decide. You see if what I'm saying is the truth. 
It was so refreshing. People weren't used to that. They, they said things like, the way this guy is teaching, uh, nobody's ever talked like this. Because he gave people permission, and he gave people the opportunity. He says, why don't you just come and see? And so while these two guys were following him, they didn't understand the whole Lamb of God and you know, the Savior and the Messiah bit. They were so curious, as Jesus said, come and watch, come and observe, look at what I do, look at what's important to me, look at what I'm, what I'm doing with my time, and they watched him heal people, they watched him give himself to people, they watched him minister to the needs of people, and they were moved by his compassion, and they were moved by the countercultural words that he said, and they're going, this is awesome. And then they start thinking, who else can we tell about this? And Andrew immediately thinks, I gotta let my brother Peter know. He has to see this for himself. So he runs and gets his brother and he says, I don't understand it all, but you gotta come see. And Peter shows up and Jesus looks at him and says something to him that Peter doesn't even understand. He says, you're, you're Simon? Well, from now on, we're calling you Peter. And can you imagine somebody saying that to you? Like, what, my name's not good enough? What's the problem? And, uh, you know, Peter's name just meant like little stone and, and Jesus didn't even explain why he said Peter. Peter means rock. He doesn't even explain it, but he says, I'm going to call you Peter. Why don't you come follow me? Peter's like, I don't even know what that means, but I, I'm, I'll come and see what you're up to. And Peter starts to follow. Another one of these guys is Philip, and he has a friend named Nathaniel, and he's thinking, I've got to let my buddy Nate know. I need to tell him what I've just seen. I can't even put it into words. This is blowing my mind. So he goes to his buddy and he says, you gotta come see, I, f I think I found the Messiah, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, and he doesn't get quite a, a, the reaction he's looking for. In fact, Nathaniel comes back with a really hard question. I mean, it's a good question. It's a fair question. He says, now wait a second, every Jew knows that the Messiah is going to come through the line of David, which means he's going to come from Bethlehem. Now, you said he's the Messiah, but he's from where? Well, he's from Nazareth. And I think the minute Philip said that, he knew he was getting caught into a little something, you know? And, and Nathaniel's going, well, you said he was from Nazareth, and we know the Messiah has to be from, you know, Bethlehem. I mean, come on. Like, and, and there's a moment where uh, Philip is asked a question that he does not know the answer to. Now, isn't that what we're all afraid of? Aren't you afraid about somebody asking you a spiritual question? Like, I might talk about what I've seen and heard, and I might invite somebody, and I might want to say, come and see, but what if they ask me a hard question? What if they ask me a question that I don't know? You know, I had a lady write me this week, and she said, I've been trying to talk to somebody, and they keep asking me these hard questions. Darren, give me the answers. I'm tired of feeling foolish. <laughs> well, I know the answer to that. I always, I feel the same way. We don't like to feel foolish. I'm not fond of that. I we're, we're made to feel dumb. We're kind of chicken about it, because there's sort of this implied, uh, you know, what's going on in this, in this passage here is there's, it's kind of an attitude from Nathaniel a bit, which is this. You're going to ask me, to, you're going to start a spiritual conversation and you don't even know what you believe? Ever been there before? And so somehow, just because there's a hard question, we find ourselves silenced. Or you find uh, yourself defensive, or you find yourself a little argumentative, because I don't like to be made foolish. What I find from Philip here is so refreshing. 
I wish that everybody was like Philip. I wish that all of us could be like him. I wish we could be as effective as him because there's something that he does here that would just change the, 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 the situation for all of us. Could we, could we see what he did? He doesn't say, well, how dare you question the authenticity of the Messiah? He does not say, well, you know, let me give you this long argumentative rabbi so-and-so or the prophet this. He doesn't say any of that. You know what Philip says? I don't know. He says, I don't know the answer to your question, but come and see. I don't know the answer to what you're saying. You see, we're afraid, the temptation is, is that we're gonna say something that we don't have an answer to. And I love what Philip says. He's just, I don't know the answer to that, but he has a confidence that causes him to say, I don't know the answer, but I promise you, if you come with me and you come and see what I'm seeing, you're, you're going you're gonna to get your questions answered. I find in Philip, there's three things that he has. If we're ever going to be effective at having conversations and bring people to Jesus, there's going to be three things that you're going to have to have like Philip. And the first one is patience. Lots and lots of patience. Do you think somehow that you're going to someday be able to have that perfect conversation with somebody you've invited for the very first time or you, you talk to for the first time and you're going to have all of the answers to all of their questions and they'll say to you, oh, well, now that you make it so simple. <laughs> oh, well, now that you answered that question. I mean, it doesn't happen that way. I mean, people have hard questions. It is hard to believe. I mean, think about it. God became a man, God in human form and he is the savior of the world and he died on a cross to forgive you of your sins and he wants to change your life. It's hard to believe that. And so you're gonna have to be patient as people take time to really process through what that means and they've gotta figure that out and it, does, it doesn't happen immediately but you're gonna have to be patient with people as they have their, I mean, doubts are an important part of life. You have your own doubts and you don't like it when somebody tells you, well, you're not allowed to doubt. You have to have patience. How many times did John the Baptist say, look, there he is, there he is, there he is. Look, the Lamb of God. And everybody was like, okay. <laughs> there he is, the Lamb of God. And nobody moved. Finally, just two guys out of all the people decided to follow and check out Jesus. It must have been a little frustrating. All I'm saying is, is that if you're going to bring people Jesus, you've got to be a patient person and let people come at their own pace. Let people have their questions, and on top of that, don't think that it's all gonna happen. Just how many, look, there he is, or come and see, or I want you to come with me, or come see for yourself, how many times might you have to say that? Probably a bunch. That's the first thing. The second thing, you need a little bit of old-fashioned courage. Courage, some guts. You know why? Because we're all afraid of one thing. Well, I'm gonna, meet, I'm gonna feel dumb. Well, is that so bad? <laughs> Sometimes I am dumb. <laughs> Sometimes you're dumb. You know, it doesn't, I mean, let's just be real. <laughs> I didn't, I'm not trying to insult you. Come on, I love you, you know. But sometimes it's okay. I mean, really, is that what we're really afraid of? Like, we'll feel foolish? Well, of course we are. We're not going to know. I mean, do you think there's ever going to be a point in your life where you're going to say, oh, now I have all of the answers. Now I'm prepared to talk about my faith. You'll never be there. And God help you, if you ever did get there, you'd be insufferable. <laughs> you know, that you would have all the answers and then, you know, everybody came to you and be like Bible answer man, whipping out your, you know, that'd be horrible. So, some courage to put yourself out there and say, I'm going to be putting myself into some conversations 
and I'm, I know I'm not going to have all the answers. You see, I want you to be, uh, give yourself some permission that people are going to have hard questions, and that's a good thing. See, there's some modern-day Nathaniels. See, maybe you're even here today, and uh, your question wouldn't be um, Nazareth. Who comes from Nazareth? Which, by the way, that's like saying, um, you know, does anything good ever come from Yuba City? I lived in a place called Yuba City, California for the first part when we were married. It got voted while we lived there. It got voted the worst place in America to live. (laughs) I was embarrassed. People would say, where are you from? I'd go, "Uh, Sacramento. I kind of enlarged the area where we were from. Can anything good come from there? Well, people aren't saying that anymore. Can anything good come from Nazareth? But they're saying things like, uh, so if God is love and he's all-knowing and he was there, where was God at Sandy Hook, you know? And I don't know the answer to that. And, and, and where was God when, um, you know, if, if he's loving and good and look at the world and, you know, look at this hypocrite and so on. Let me tell you something. People have valid, hard questions. People have had painful things happen. People sometimes will put a question in front of you and they're hurting about something else and you don't even know what they're hurting about. They're just kind of angry and, you know, there is no answer for some of that stuff. So you just have to go ahead and say, I'm going to need some courage to just put myself into some conversations where I don't know the answers. But here's what courage is built on. It's the third thing, which is confident humility. You know what confident humility is? It's okay that I don't know the answers. In fact, I acknowledge your right to have a, you know, I acknowledge your right to have questions that I don't know. That's so respectful, by the way, when people know that you take them seriously. That's such a good thing. People will feel like you actually listened, you're, you're, you're curious, you're, you're paying attention. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know um, the answer to your question. But the confidence comes from, but listen, here's what I do know. If you will come and see I know you'll get your questions answered in the long run. I don't know about that, but let me tell you what I do know. Come and see. Come and see. That's what Philip did, and that's what Jesus continued to do. Uh, when people would come, he, doesn't, he does not immediately answer the question. But he'll say, you know what? I know you got questions, but just come and watch. Come observe. Come, come see for yourself. Come watch the lives of people. Come see what I do. Keep coming back. I'm glad that Philip did this because it has a great effect on Nathaniel because immediately uh, the next thing you see is Nathaniel and Philip walking to meet Jesus. And that tells me something. It wasn't just some sort of a vague, you know, generic information like you ought to come with me sometime, which is what we're all really good at. You know, if you ever want to go to church one of these times, that's kind of like saying, hey, let's play golf someday. Does does that ever happen? No, because it doesn't go on the calendar, it doesn't get done, it's not a priority, you never set a date, it never happens. But but Philip was very specific. He, he, He said something like this. He said, listen, I don't know the answer to your question about Nazareth. It's a good question. Of course, he can't come from Nazareth. But here, I think we've, I still think that we found him because you've got to see this guy. Come and see for yourself. In fact, let's go right now. I'll go with you. Let's go ask your question. Because the next verse is... And Philip and Nathaniel were walking towards Jesus. Take a look at what happens next, because this is where it gets interesting. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, so he came with him, he said, I love this, Jesus goes, now here is an Israelite in whom truly there is no deceit. 
Now that's a pretty good compliment. What if somebody said that about you publicly? I know how I would feel if somebody kind of announced, now there's Darren Chesky, now there's a man that has no deceit. There'd be part of me that would be kind of proud about that, and there'd be another part that'd be pretty uncomfortable. Because there'd be a part that I'd go, yeah, that's that's what I hope to be known for. I want to be transparent and a man of integrity. There's another part that I just know me. And I know that that's not always the case. And so there's a part of me that wants to be that and another part that's kind of uncomfortable. And so here's Nathaniel. Jesus says, now there's an Israelite in whom there's no deceit, no guile, no no problem of of transparency. And he feels kind of good about that. He's complimented. That's what I want to be. But then he feels like, yeah, I I don't like it that you're saying that. And he says... Well, who are you that you should know me? That's what, I mean, literally Nathaniel goes, how do you know me? I mean, how can you say such a thing? And what Jesus says next is, how do I know you? Um, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before, you know, Philip came and got you. Now, you'd think if that was just like a piece of information, that it was just kind of a normal conversation, Nathaniel would say, oh, yeah, well, when was that? But that's not what Nathaniel says. Look what Nathaniel says. Then Nathaniel declared, uh, what? <laughs> how? I mean, how could you? I mean, nobody could know that. There's a moment, there's, there's something here that's so private that's between Jesus and Nathaniel. Jesus is supernaturally speaking to something that's so personal in Nathaniel's life, and he's saying, there's no way. What, has he got like a speaker in my, I mean, a mic in my house? How could he know that? And his response is not, uh, it's simply, oh my God, like only, only God could know this. And he goes, you are the Messiah. He has this profound revelation of God. I can't believe it's, he's astounded. And so he has this flash moment where he realizes he sees everything about me. He knows everything about me. He knows what I am. He knows what I want to be. I mean, he called me a person of integrity, but he accepts me for what I am today. See, we don't know what was going on under the tree. We don't know what he was involved with, but somehow there was such a contrast to what Jesus said and who he was that he says... Only God could know that. And he suddenly has this incredible hope in his heart because all of a sudden he realizes Jesus understands me. He knows me. He knows what I'm going to become. He, he understands everything about me. And uh, maybe that gives me an opportunity to figure myself out because here's the truth about us. We're all a mystery to ourselves. Every one of us has this part of our life that we don't get ourselves at all. Why do I keep doing what I don't want to do? Why am I still going back to that same person? Why do I keep making the same mistake over and over again? I thought by now I would at least have gotten over, you know. And there's all this stuff in our lives that is a great mystery. But when somebody understands us and somebody knows us completely and somebody so awesome and so so respected and, and so amazing says, I'm thinking about you and I know about you and I know where you are today and I know what you could be. And I came and I found you personally. And Nathaniel has incredible hope. And he's just blown away. And he says, you're God. You're the Messiah. And nobody's answered his question. I mean, nobody, nobody came back and said, oh, well, Nazareth, you know, doesn't even matter anymore. Because he's had a revelation that you really are God. And so he picks up his unanswered question. And he goes, we'll answer that someday. But I know. 
and he starts to follow. And you can almost hear Philip going, see, I told you. I don't know the answer to your question either, but, but come and see for yourself. And Nathaniel goes, I had no idea. I was in the presence of God, and I didn't even know it. Jesus said this, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? Well, you're gonna see greater things than this. You have no idea what you're gonna become. In other words, he cast a vision for him and he said, if you just come and see, just follow me, come be with me, watch. You're gonna be so transformed, you won't even recognize yourself a few years from now. I'm gonna change you from the inside out. Come, you're gonna see great things. You're gonna see things that are gonna blow your mind. You're gonna see things that are beyond, beyond your ability to even imagine right now. And then he says something that's really odd that you and I don't really understand. Verse 51, he says, very truly, I tell you, Nathaniel, you will see heaven opened. You'll see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That means nothing to you and me, but that meant a lot to Nathaniel. In fact, it meant a lot to every Jew because he's referring to a story in Genesis 28 about Jacob. And every Jew would know about Jacob, Jacob, whose name would become Israel, who would be the, the father of the 12 tribes. I mean, everybody knew who Jacob was. And, and he goes, remember that story, you know, uh, Nathaniel, when Jacob was running for his life, running away from his family because he was such a deceiver, he had lied. Jacob was, his name actually means manipulator. And there's like a cold sweat breaking out on Nathaniel. Yeah, I remember that story. Because <laughs> Jesus has just called him a man of integrity. And he's going, yeah, remember Jacob, you know, the deceiver, the one that stole his brother's birthright, lied to his father. His brother now wants to kill him, and he's, he's running for his life. And he gets out in the desert, and he's away from everybody. He's lost. He's, he's, he's stressed out. He's, he's come to the end of himself where he has only a rock for a pillow, and he collapses, falls asleep. And that night, God gives Jacob a supernatural revelation of God. And he doesn't even deserve it. He's a liar, a manipulator, a deceiver. But God comes to him and gives him a vision of heaven and he shows a door opening up in heaven and like, I don't know, like a ladder or a stairway coming down right to where he is and all these angels coming up and down on the stairway. And Jacob uh, is realizing this is like, this is the, the house of God. And this is the doorway to God and God says, today I'm gonna be your God. I'll be your father. I'll direct you. I'm gonna bless you. I'm going to do something great with your life. I know about your past, but I've got a great future for you. And he makes some promises to Jacob. He says, you remember that, Nathaniel? Yeah. Jacob wakes up from his dream, and this is what he says in Genesis chapter 28, verses uh, 17. He says to him, or verse 16, Jacob awoke from his sleep, and he thought, look at this, look at this. Surely the Lord was in this place, and I was not aware of it. That's the world we live in today. God is all around them. God is present. God is doing amazing things in this world, and I had no clue. I didn't even know. And he was in awe, and he says, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Jacob wakes up from his dream. He names the spot Bethel, which means this is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And he's telling Nathaniel this story. He says, Nathaniel, don't you understand that whole story? That was about me. I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. I'm the way to God. That was about me. I'm that stairway that leads to God. You follow me. You follow me. And I will change your life. You see, now here's the thing. When, you know what this is? When we all uh, 
followers of Jesus come together. You know what this is? This is the house of God. This is the house of God, and we are the body of Christ. And when we come together, even two or three of us in his name, the spirit of Jesus is actually here, and his presence is here. And when people come in, they can't even explain it, but they go, I feel God. I don't understand it. It's like he's talking directly to me. How does he know that? I don't know. I don't even know your name. But God is speaking to you. And God comes in and through the music moves somebody's heart. Or they, they walk onto the lot and they can't even explain. I, I, I'm choked up. I feel God here. How many of you, that's your story? If you haven't even, you, you know that you've encountered God and God has awakened something and stuff that was really dark and unclear. And you had all these questions and and somebody just said, I don't know the answer to your question, but come and see. And you came and you encountered the presence of God. And all of a sudden you had a spiritual awakening. A spiritual awakening. Go well, here, watch me. Look over here. God knows your name. He knows everything about you. He knows where you are today, and he has a vision for your future. And he, w- he wants to rewrite and give you a new name, a different label than what you've been called, what you call yourself. He says to Peter, I know your name's like, his, his name, uh, Simon, means like a little loose stone, like a gra- piece of gravel that gets tossed about, blown by every doubt and fear. He says, Peter, you're gonna be a rock one day. Peter's like, I don't understand that. Follow me. Walk with me. Watch, look, learn. Bring your doubts with you, and I'm gonna change your life. I'm gonna make you a rock. He says to Nathaniel, I don't know what was going on in Nathaniel's heart. Nathaniel knew it. He, he woke up to God, and, he, and Nathaniel says, Yeah, you're gonna be a man of integrity someday. You're gonna be a man in whom there's no deceit, no more image making, no more pretending. I'm gonna turn you into an honest man of God. God wants to do that for you. Maybe you're one of these modern day Nathaniels and somebody brought you here today. Well, it's no accident. God knows your name. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows what you're disappointed about. He knows the consequences of sin in your life. He knows the things that make you sorrowful and make you sad, and he wants to heal your broken heart. He wants to give you a future that doesn't, isn't afraid of dying or death. I mean, the resurrection of Jesus, the fact that we believe in the resurrection of Jesus means that we don't have to worry about the future. You say, well, I don't even know if I can believe that yet. I don't even know if I believe that. You know what I'd say? Well, come and see. Come and watch. Bring your doubts with you. That's okay. I respect that. Come and watch. But God brought you here today to open up your heart to him. And you know what, here's the thing, for so many of us, we're so afraid to say, come and see, and I wanna just pull the mask off, why? You don't have to have all the answers. God is the one that is going to make himself um, known to people. God is already seeking people out. It's not your job. Your job is not to be the defense attorney for God or to be the prosecutor. You're never to be the judge. But your job is one thing. You say, I don't know the answers, but come and see. And you know, when we come together and we serve one another in love, and we, like I said last week, we take our hands off our life and we say, God, you can have me. Use my gifts, use my resources, my abilities. Use them for your glory. And I say that, and you say that, and you know, it's not me anymore, and it's not you anymore, it's us. We become the body of Jesus, and people see us in action and they say, I believe because they see us. Are you understanding what I'm saying today? This is how easy it is.
I want to make some invitations this morning. I want to invite those of you who, who, um, who came here. This is the first time and you're far from God. Today's a day when you can start a journey of following Jesus. I know you have doubts and I know you have questions. I'm not asking you to check your brain at the door. But I'm saying come and see. Come and see. Keep coming back. Open up your heart to God. Open your heart to him today. In fact, maybe you're carrying a burden of just a bunch of guilt. You don't have to carry that today. You can simply say, God, I don't understand it all, but I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to give me a new start. And as best as I know how, I want to start walking with you and following you today. I'm willing to come and see. That's all you have to do. And then for some of you, you've never, ever taken your rightful role in the body of Christ, which is to be a person that says to everybody, come and see. And you've been afraid and you are locked up because you're embarrassed or you're worried about being awkward, I want to ask you to be courageous. And I want to ask you to be patient. And I'm asking you to simply have the humble courage to say, I don't know, but come and see. There are some amazing things to talk about. You can talk about all this generosity. You say, that's amazing. I've never seen that before. You can talk about changed lives. You can talk about what's happened in your own life. You can talk about how God has changed you and You can talk about all kinds of things that are your story that nobody can dispute or what you've seen, what you've heard. And you can simply say specifically, will you come with me? Will you come and see? That's how people find Jesus. We have nine Christmas Eve services and you have an incredible opportunity to take advantage of that. I hope that you'll grab some tickets and you'll think of somebody and you'll say, I'm gonna invite them to a specific service at a specific time, come with us. We'll take you to lunch after. And you don't have to do more than that and let God speak to people and open up their eyes in their time, in their own pace, wherever they are in their spiritual journey, okay? Before you leave today, the other thing you can do is to take out that little post-it note. This is the last week we're gonna do this. I've been in here all week and I've prayed for, I think, every post-it note on this wall and many others have joined me. And if you have somebody that's on your heart, a family member, a friend, somebody that you're going to, you're invested in and you wanna invite, Put their name on the wall, and we're going to pray in advance for you and uh, ask that God will open up their heart so that when you say, come and see, they're going to say what 80% of people will say when you give an invitation. Listen to me. 80% of people, when given an invitation to come and see, you know what they'll say? Why, thank you. Thanks for asking. Yes. And you'll be glad that you did. And one day, I mean, you're grateful now that this is your church. I know many of you are. One day they're going to be thankful. They're going to be grateful to you and say, thank you for inviting me because that was the day my life started to change. Do you receive this this morning? All right. Okay, so let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for speaking to us so clearly. I pray for this one person or two or five that this is their, their day to really decide to follow you. Maybe that's you I'm talking to. Just simply say, dear God, I open my heart to you and yes, I'm ready to follow you. I'm sorry for the stuff that I've done. I know I got all these questions about other people and their stuff, but truthfully, I've not even kept my own standards, let alone a holy God. So I take, I acknowledge that and I acknowledge that I'm, I've got sin in my own heart that I need to deal with. I'll never be able to get rid of it and I ask you to forgive me, I'm sorry. And I believe in you and I'd like to follow you. It's my decision today. If that's you, say in your heart, yes, God, that's me. 
God, I pray that you'd fill that person with an awareness, a supernatural awareness of your presence in this moment. Lord, I thank you for all of my brothers and sisters in Christ here today that are so insecure about sharing who you are and what you've done. Lord, I come against that spirit of fear with the simple gospel that simply says that the role of the believer is to say to friends and family, come and see. And I pray that, that today that power, that, that lie, that embarrassment, that fear will just be broken and you'll fill people with just gentle, humble courage, confident, confident humility to simply say from this point forward to everyone they meet, well, come and see. And I pray that you'll do your part and people will come to know you by the hundreds and hundreds this Christmas Eve, this, these Christmas services. So I commit this all into your care now. In Jesus' name, amen.